down to like how easy is it for the customer to envision the future state and the path to get there. And then the more you can advance the product, the more you can advance people's thought process about a future state, the less you actually have to do, the less steps and layers of a solution you need to build. Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. So much of what we do in operations is figuring out how do we get from point A to point B? And then how do we get there better, faster, and smarter the next time around? Recently, I had the chance to talk to someone who doesn't technically work in operations, but he has built a team that is built around that same mission of getting from point A to point B better, faster, and with longer lasting results. That person and our guest today is Mickey Hainan, the Vice President of Global Professional Services and Education at Confluent. Confluent has pioneered a new category of data infrastructure focused on data in motion. And Mickey has a team full of change agents that are responsible for making that company's promise a reality for its customers. Mickey has this unique perspective that professional services teams are like product managers, helping their customers to build a product. And that product is their future company. What is their company going to look like? In our conversation, we talk about professional services as a company within the company, how internal communications is like a game of catch, and how his team solves problems and magnifies the solutions to those problems to the rest of the world. But first, let's get some foundation for the rest of our conversation. I asked Mickey about how he defines professional services and the purpose that it serves inside of an organization. Professional services is is there to serve a mission, right? Like any department or anything. And honestly, it, there's a few different flavors of it. People have to kind of choose theirs. So mine is my perspective. But really, we're, we're a uh, part of the overall mission. So my version of professional services in a software company is to help the software company achieve its mission. That means that we're here to help our customers. And so I, I can contrast that with maybe a uh, a standalone consulting company, or there's a, a few flavors, but within a software company for us, we're there to help our customers be successful. We're there to help our customers to achieve the outcomes that they're trying to achieve with the software. So if the mission is to help them uh, be able to do something that they couldn't do before, we're there to bridge the difference between the technology, like help them understand the technology, help them to use the technology, help them to build skills and capabilities around it. And really, some would, would look at professional services and say, all right, well, is it generating revenue? Are you delivering projects on time and on budget? I find that professional services is much more of like a, it's like a change agent, internally and externally. So when we look at our customers, our customers actually are, are having to change. They have to change their technology architecture, their business architecture, the processes and the the skills that they have, and the, you know the data, right? So we're going to help them to understand the difference between where they are now and, and what the future state looks like. And we're going to get them there smoothly with the appropriate longevity and skills and capabilities. And if I can even say, there was a, a blog article well, uh, back in, in 2011, Mark Andressen wrote about why software is eating the world. Back in 2019, Jay Kreps, who's my current CEO, 
wrote an article about it was originally every company is becoming a software company, but then he like crossed it out and said every company is becoming software. And that's a little bit like some people might take offense to that or worried about Terminator and, you know, like <laughs> companies taking over. But no, what I like about this is it's true. When you look around you, more and more of the capabilities within a company are being augmented and, and helped by software. So if you look at that, professional services to me is going to help them make the change that takes advantage of that software to advance their business, to advance their capabilities. It's almost like professional services is helping them to build the product of their future state, right? And we're going to help them envision, design, and manage through the change to take the, the technology and the skills and, and the processes and, and get the value out of it. How do you know if you are effectively serving as that agent of change, right? So you mentioned, you know, some people might measure it on revenue, they might measure it on the timeliness of your projects. And so what you're saying about being a change agent makes total sense to me, but I would imagine it also probably makes it harder to concretely say whether what you're doing is actually helping. Yeah, absolutely. What I'll say is that when you're managing a professional services organization, you do have to track the traditional metrics. So, you know, like you have to know what your business plan is and, you know, you have to track like your revenue and your utilization and your attach rate and inclusion rate and margins. And it's just the health of your business. But, you know, to us, you should establish effective bounds for those things, but know what your real mission is. So our mission to our customers is, are we delivering the outcomes that we have established in our sales discussion, right? In our beginning of a relationship, are we helping them achieve those outcomes? Are we doing that on a timely fashion? And are they essentially realizing the value that we've discussed? And so if you're not having value-based conversations in the beginning, it's hard to measure what those value things are. So you can talk about, people often will, will, will then start talking about how much they're using the software. Internally, you know, software companies will talk about consumption. Is the customer consuming? You know, And outside, you'll see whether or not customers are saying, are we rolling people on? Are, are we getting adoption internally? Are we taking on new use cases? But really, it's about the value statement of what does it mean for them to offload costs or to deliver new revenue streams, to be more uh, agile in their innovation. And you should be able to do those things. Like we work with our business value consulting team, like that's a, a service that we provide as a company, but they might not have another partner or there's a lot of ways that they're defining the value. But we also serve our internal company. Some of the, we, we look at like, are we helping to reduce the burden on support. We should have fewer P1 critical issues. You know, are we making the product better together? And are we seeing more customers wanting to stay with us and grow with us? Those are good, effective measures for a department like mine. At a high level, Mickey says that a professional services team should help a software company achieve its mission. And to be honest, that software company he's talking about could be Confluent itself or any of the customers that he and his team are working with. He recognizes that there are some core metrics that professional services teams use to make sure that they are a healthy department within the business. But these mission and outcome-driven measurements seem way more important to him. In addition to the purpose and success metrics of Mickey's team, I wanted to understand the org structure of the team itself. Confluent is a pretty technical product, but regardless of how technical your product might be, there are usually a number of other customer-facing teams in the mix. 
So how does Mickey's team fit into that larger post-sale strategy? Some of that comes down to like having the appropriate organizational constructs and, and alignment and people's metrics and everything pointed at the right thing. Like everybody should be focused on the customer success. So some of the structure and the organizational construct will help you to do those things. So we ourselves, when we're aligning to other customer facing groups, we have essentially services that we're, we're offering. Like one of our main services, we're going to go and we're going to help a customer get from point A to point B better, faster, more reliably with long lasting results. We're delivering outcomes for our customer. And when we do that, we also have kind of the opportunity and the responsibility back to the rest of the company to take our knowledge and to make it better, make our company better. We have product feedback. We make sure that we deliver feedback directly to the, the product teams, engineering teams, say, this is what's working, this is what's not working. We need to be creating solutions that say, here's how our customers are thinking about technology, thinking about the problems that they're trying to solve. And so let's make it easier. Let's build repeatable patterns, templates, tools, things that make it easier for them or the next person, next company to do that thing. We build enablement so that we can uh, help educate ourselves, our customers, the world, so that it's a measure or it's, a, it's an ability to scale knowledge because they shouldn't have to just buy some consulting time to get that knowledge. And also then we tell the success stories. In other words, we work with marketing and we try to tell the world about the great things that people are achieving because that's a great opportunity for others to achieve the same things. Mm. And I would imagine with some of those examples that you're sharing, right, then those examples are the people who are getting from A to B better, faster, with longer lasting results, right? Like, like you said, you guys have a pretty technical product. Yeah. Is it a given that you need to use professional services with Confluent in order to get those better, faster results? Is there an alternative? Like, how does your team, you mentioned a, a business value consulting team, like, how does your team play in there inside of the customer journey, right? Is that, is that always going to be the case? Actually, I think the ideal state is where, you know, you can achieve that value without any help. Like a customer should be able to go, like, for instance, you can use our cloud product and you can spin it up. You can use in-product tutorials. You can start to get value right away. That's the benefit of any of the SaaS type tools. And we have other tools. We have some on-premise things for those that are trying to build it themselves and host it themselves. And so when I look at it, really how much help you need is dependent upon what you're trying to do and your, and your skill sets that you have. And if you don't have the knowledge and the experience and the skills, you got to find those or get them. You can hire them. You can educate yourself, right? Using materials that are out there and available, some, some of which we provide. You can use a partner, a consulting you know, organization. With enough time, you can, you can do anything. Part of what we're trying to do is companies are, are wanting to realize the opportunity ahead of them. And we can help them do that better, faster, easier, more, more repeatedly. Do they need to use us? No, absolutely not. And yet, we tend to think that we, uh, we add a fair amount of value and our customers, I think, would agree. Mickey helped me to think about this in such a simple way. When thinking about professional services and where it fits in and when, it really boils down to two questions. What are you trying to do? And do you have the skills you need to get it done? These are the same questions you might ask yourself when you're considering whether to build something in-house versus reaching out to a consultant. 
A professional services team just happens to be the absolute most knowledgeable consultant available on that particular product. Or at least they should be, right? Mickey mentioned that one of his goals is to effectively scale the knowledge of how to do things with Confluent. And first, he needs to scale that knowledge amongst those that are on his own team. So I was curious about the different types of roles that he has built out on his team that the rest of us might be able to steal from. We have a number of different functions within professional services. I like to look at it a little bit like it's its own company. It's its own company within the company. Part of that is out of a necessity of a fast-growing company. We've gone through kind of the blitz scaling phases. And so we have the ability to deliver technical expertise, and that comes in a few different flavors based on what our customers need. So we have essentially engineers in the field that will work with customers that are trying to engineer things. We have architects in the field for the customers who are trying to architect, and we'll come alongside those roles and help them to do what they're doing. It's a matter of like doing it with them instead of just you know talking at them. We have engagement managers, which is a role that I think differs in companies. The way I look at it, our engagement managers are, it's almost like a product manager for hire. It's not a project manager that's just sitting there and writing a, a Microsoft project, something or other, or a scrum plan and just checking off boxes. These people actually understand the change that you're going through. We're going to take this technology and we're going to merge with your technical architecture. We're going to discuss your data and what, what data is necessary for you to deliver the thing that you're trying to do, what business processes are involved, and how do we help make sure that your business processes are ready to take advantage of this. And these people, the engagement managers, have helped to guide that project and realize the value. So in that way, I, I look at it kind of like a product manager when the customer themselves are building the product of their future company. So we have those things. We have a number of supporting casts. That's like the core of the delivery. Any customer would work with that. We have uh, regional alignment because we as a company go to market in regions. We, we want to be close to our customers. We want our people to be close to our customers. And so we align with folks that are not in professional services, whether it's pre-sales teams or customer success managers and architects or sales people, field marketing. We have regional representation that participate across the whole life cycle. We have operations people who help us to with the systems and the data and the analytics and making sure that we can conduct our business smoothly. We have kind of go-to-market. We are a product, but we're actually a series of products that we have to bring to market so that our customers can transact. And we have strategy and marketing and all that stuff. And as you grow, like depending on how fast you grow, those things might already just be centralized. You might actually have to build or uh, augment those capabilities so that you can keep pace with growth with the overall company until such time that you can really centralize those things. And that's what we've, we've done. As you have kind of gone through it's hard to keep up, right? As you're growing really fast and you're trying to, to support the growth of, of the rest of the organization, you mentioned having different products. Does that look like, okay, now we have to get different experts in product B and C, or are you trying to take the folks from product A and, and, and kind of widen their expertise? I, I can imagine there's, there's trade-offs there to each of those approaches. Yeah, that's a really great question. And, and, I, and I think that there are trade-offs and 
one would have to look at one's individual circumstances and, and like the the talent pool and how much overlap is there in skills and how long does it take to get there and the cost optimization of things. But I would say generally you do have specialization. And so we build out specialization in in different ways. You know, I think when a company is is young and its product mix is smaller, you'd probably do specialize a lot around the product itself or a, a subset of like use cases that you're going out and solving these problems. As the product itself becomes more complex or you have many more features or, or suites of product, you need to specialize in different aspects of it. But for me, I like to look at it not from the product perspective so much as from the outcome for the customer. So we start out and everybody's trying to do the same kind of outcome because you know we're, we're solving a narrow problem with a narrow product. But as it gets more complex, you need to mix product-specific knowledge with customer and industry kind of specific knowledge, help to work with partners, and you need to blend those things together in the like the the solutions that you're bringing. So uh, you might start to have more industry-specific like financial services knowledge in some of your team, and you're going to take those folks and they should be experts in your products and how you bring your products to market in financial services. But you might also have some horizontals, right? In a product like ours, it is broad-reaching. We would have a number of horizontals. So maybe a little more focus on cloud networking and how you help make sure that the cloud is, is working effectively. A little more focus on data governance. That's a broad-reaching thing that has specialization in it. And so at risk of sounding like a much, much larger organization, the matrixed organization really starts to come into play when, when you reach a certain size. Listening back to this conversation, I can't help but notice a ton of similarities between the way Mickey thinks about growing a professional services team and the way many operations teams are built. On this show, we've previously described ops teams as the product managers of your company. And Mickey talks about professional services teams as product managers for hire, people that are going to build the product of your future company. Build the product of your future company. If that job description doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, I don't know what would. I also appreciate the challenge that Mickey is describing of this growing matrix of required expertise. Again, it's just like ops. You might start with someone who can do a little bit of everything, sales ops, marketing ops, customer success ops, but as your company grows, eventually specialization is only going to make those teams stronger. Otherwise, you're a mile wide and an inch deep. I also think that that's where other teammates within the company can come in handy. So ops, or professional services in this case, doesn't necessarily have to cover every single topic or area of expertise. When I first met Mickey, he talked about these partnerships between different internal teams as a game of catch. It could be catch, it could be any kind of communication between folks, but in an early stage company, you've got folks wearing all kinds of hats and they're playing all the different roles and stuff. But as you're building the scale, you've got to be a lot more clear about what's your mission. Everybody plays their role in professional services here. Like we have the handful of things I was mentioning earlier. And when we go and we deliver customer results or we deliver product feedback or we generate happy customers and we tell the stories or we're building enablement material, we need to partner with other organizations, other departments within the company that are good at taking input from us and polishing it, you know, making it scalable, usable, 
productizing it, right? So if we build really good enablement material, well then an education function or an enablement function, there should be an intake there that takes that material and, and makes it usable in lots of different ways. If we have a happy customer and they want to tell the world about it, like we should be able to connect them with customer marketing and we should talk about it on stage. We should talk about it in blogs and, and, and all that stuff. We should work with product on what types of problems we see being solved. Because sometimes our customers are innovating much faster than, than we could because they're finding new uses for it. So let's give that feedback back to product, product marketing. Let's make it better. And, and, and we ourselves are, ideally, we run into all the problems before you ever launch a product, right? <laughs> but yeah. in the real world, you know, you, you still come across them. And so we work with support who's, who's uh, helping our customers. We work with the um, pre-sales team and we try to give the best feedback we can. And nothing replaces the, the engineering team and product team actually having direct customer interaction. But in a lot of ways, a strong professional services organization in the field is the product and engineering function in the field. We take what's working and roll it out. I mean, it's so interesting. One of the things I think about a lot for our team is similar to what you're saying about your product. What's possible with Drift expands every day. And so how good of a job are we at keeping up with what's possible and then making what's possible a reality within the customer base. But a lot of times we got to figure that stuff out for ourselves first before we can teach other people about it. And so I think it's really interesting that if people look you up on LinkedIn, you're not just the head of professional services, you're the vice president of global professional services and education. And you can even tell just from your, your answer you just gave about kind of the opportunities your team is seeking out to bring that feedback back to the organization, like that you can see that education lens on the way you you think about it. I guess, what was the thing that made you and the team at Confluent bundle those things together? Because not everyone's going to say the professional services team is the right source of truth for, for spreading that information, right? Right. Yeah. Nor should they. And, and actually, like, we don't even look at, like, it's not like education and professional services are bundled together such that they can uh, magnify each other. I'll say that everything evolves and there's a, a right time and place for all things for a company. And, and so at our point of our evolution, uh, what we found is that there's a, a need to find the, the challenges that our customers run into and to solve them ideally like really well, clearly, and magnify that back out in the world. Like we're trying to help solve that problem without the need for professional services. And so that function, that whatever megaphone function you have for educating and, and enabling the world, it can live in product. It can live in a lot of places. But what we find is that our customers want to have clear outcome-oriented problem-solving, jobs to be done. The professional services team is, is out there working with them right alongside them day to day. And so to the extent that we're able to summarize those, those problems, those outcomes, we can have educational material, like bite-sized, task-oriented, hands-on exercises that can help them solve it better, faster. Because we can look at some organizations. Some, some organizations have thousands of developers. And if you're trying to roll out a, a software across their organization, or maybe it's not developers, maybe your audience is like uh, salespeople or yeah. marketing or whatnot, there's a concept of building this community of practice. And if you've studied, you know, change management or anything like that, you want to build a core of champions 
you want to build the message that gets out far and wide. But what we find is that if we can get the initial successes going, if we can build the pattern for what success looks like, if we can help them, help set them on the right path, then education and all that comes before and after. Before to help the initial successes be good and fast and, and solid, and after to help scale the message. So that's what we're trying to do. And I think that it's it's not necessarily unique, but it's certainly a big a big help, I think. I'm sure it is. And I mean, you said a couple times that idea of of magnifying the message out to the rest of the world, right? And, yeah. and taking the the lessons from those successes. Is that hard to balance with all of those kind of traditional professional services outcomes that you were talking about at the beginning, right? Like revenue, timeliness, outcomes, right? Yes. Is that a separate part of your team? How, how do you articulate that internally? How do you balance that to say, actually, taking the time to scale these messages and to share these lessons with the world is, in fact, just as important, if not more, than like the ones I can fit into my spreadsheet? Yeah. 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 I, I think, is it hard? And is it like, how does one actually accomplish it? I think it is hard, but it, it's a lot easier if the executive team of, of the company understands and agrees with that mission. Because if they don't agree, then they're going to do things like really jack up the expectations on revenue contributions. And they're going to expect really high utilization percentages. We could have a whole talk about, about that. But what we find is that we're trying to be a responsible contributor to the overall business, not losing money, being self-standing in our, in our finances, but aware of the wider mission and contributing to the wider mission of what like, we're trying to do in the world. And so when we have alignment to that, it makes it a lot easier. And then everything else is kind of time and focus, right? Like you you got to have the right people focused on the right things. And it is hard sometimes. Right. In professional services, there's a natural pull of like everybody needs to be out solving those distinct problems with the customers. And, and when is there time to stop and to summarize and pull the goodness out? Well, you need to build it into all the time. Like there needs to be periodic points where people are at the end of a week summarizing the things that are going on with that customer. Actually, at the end of every day, you should be doing a little bit of that. Right. But we ourselves, we build in periodic points where, where folks are essentially stepping back contributing their thought and knowledge back into those things I mentioned before. And in our fiscal planning, we also have to look at like, when is that not enough? When do you actually have to take people fully aside for weeks or for a month or whatever, and, and just focus on your top priorities? We can always do it better, right? I certainly would raise my hand to say we could do it better, but I think that we're doing it pretty well. And uh, we're going to try to do it better all the time. Solve problems, solve them clearly, and magnify them to the world. If I had to distill all of Mickey's lessons down to one soundbite, that'd be it. Solve problems, solve them clearly, magnify them to the world. Luckily for us, we've got time for more than just soundbites. So I wanted to go a little bit deeper into that last point that Mickey made about how the people on his team spend their time. How do these concepts about taking the time to document and magnify the learning and education parts of the job, how do those translate to the individual contributor level? How do they balance the project-based work that they are assigned with things like sending feedback to product, things that aren't going to necessarily show up on a utilization report? Everything can be kind of boiled down to what are, what are your priorities and where are you spending your time? So utilization is a good way to categorize that, right? 
And if you are a professional services practitioner, you've probably had many different utilization conversations. But let's just look at it like categorize your time. And we look at it and we say, we look at it on a quarterly basis. And so there's 13 weeks in a quarter. I would really recommend anybody just lay out all 13 weeks and say, all right, what's the average week? And lay out your categories. How much time are you spending working directly with your customers? How much time are you spending doing administrative stuff like time entry and meetings? And how much are you spending on pre-sales or on uh, building solutions or internal projects or whatever? And you've got to include, are you getting time off? Expecting just like company events. This is, this is quarterly, but you have to build it into the whole financial plan. But then we look at it and we say, realistically, our team is going to work with our customers and they're going to work at least like Monday to Thursday every week for a number of weeks. We're going to inject some weeks when you're not doing that. And we're going to do what's necessary to make sure that that's happening. Maybe we actually staff more people on a role to allow a bit of a rotation. It gives the customer a little bit of a backup person, no single point of failure. So there's that, that teaming approach. And there are other folks that we say, you know what, we're going to bring down the, the version of uh, customer utilization and we're going to pull you out of the field a little more often. But I really do believe that like everybody needs to be working directly with customers. It, it, it keeps you like connected to the, the challenges that you're trying to solve. But if you look at it and you, and you see that you don't have a week off every quarter or so for somebody to take a, a, a vacation, well, just there's implications of that. You're burning hot, you're burning hard, like people are going to get tired. And so I like to look at it like our mission is to solve our customers' problems and to help them achieve those outcomes. But uh, we can't do that without our people. Our people have to be able to stay up to speed on the technology. They have to be motivated and engaged and advancing their own careers. you got to balance those things. I think that's amazing and admirable that you guys build that in to the plan itself because, like you said, inevitably you're going to need that time and having that built in from the beginning is is really nice. I want to go back just for a second because you just brought it up again and you had mentioned it earlier, the idea that one of those buckets of time is on pre-sale stuff. And you said that there you have kind of this regional go-to-market alignment between your team and, and the sales folks based off of the region of the customers. How much time is being spent by your team in those pre-sale motions? And is there ever a concern of Certainly, they're going to go in and hopefully provide a unique perspective to those deals. But is there ever a concern of them spending time on a certain percentage of deals that are never going to come in? Sure. I, I mean, I don't know if I actively sit and think about that last part. We trust our team. We keep an eye on time uh, and investments that we're making. You know, if we're, if we're doing some things like working with a customer outside of a contract, helping the, the pre-sales type motion. I think it's important to be clear about whose role it is to help in the pre-sales cycle, right? Because if it's everybody's job, then it's nobody's job. And it's partly going to be dependent upon, do you have a standalone pre-sales team, right? Because if you don't, then you already have blended these functions and you need to look at it like that. And so there, are, there actually are a lot of trade-offs to answering this question. But for us... We believe that it's really important to engage in the sales cycle and for the customer to, to meet and understand the, the team that's going to help them in like any kind of post-sales engagement. So we allocate some time from the right folks in each region to engage. Then it's a matter of balancing how much time is necessary. Can we get more of our knowledge and our thought and everything into 
repeatable assets and uh, motions that help our customers understand better, faster, then we need less time. If we can't, or if we're in, in a broad new space and, and there's really new challenges and stuff, we'll make decisions to invest more time. But a lot of that is also empowering the pre-sales team to, to do what they're needing to do and understand those, the scoping and, and problem solving. And I would imagine just having those relationships and making them available and getting them involved earlier to go back to your, your game of catch analogy, like you get a lot less drop balls by doing that, right? But they're directly involved. They know the scope ahead of time. There's a lot of value to that. So that's where like we measure inclusion, we measure attach or whatever. So like how many deals are we involved in? We measure, uh, like we have frameworks in our pre-sales team that say, did we have X and Y conversations? Because we're trying to make sure that, did we talk about the, the things that our customer needs to know about early enough for them to have the information that they need and make an informed decision? Are inclusion and attach different or is, those the same, is that the same thing? We call it inclusion, but you can say like opportunity attach and dollar attach. But like basically you're measuring your company performance off of the software sales and like, are you selling services with it? So that'd be like attached on dollars. I like the word inclusion, basically saying it uh, doesn't really matter how much you put on the deal, but did you include some measure of services and education uh, with that opportunity? That can give you, it's again, it's like, it's a good indicator when you're just operating your business to say, are we in the conversations that we need to be in? But is it the end all be all? I don't think so. And I think, I think companies can take it too far. They can be like, well, we got to ratchet up our sales on this thing. And you're not focused on, are we delivering the value that our customers need? Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Ooh, the last six months. It was slightly longer than six months, just six months, over six months ago. Turn the Ship Around by L. David Marquette. I, th I think it's a fantastic leadership book. Got it. Love it. Favorite part about working in professional services? I get to go and work with the most amazing companies like, across industries, solving things that literally, like you look back over the years and you see the world changing around you. Like I, I love to be a part of that, that change with our customers. Least favorite part about working in professional services? Uh, up until COVID, it was, uh, you know, I was still traveling a lot away from my family. I love the travel. I love, you know, seeing the rest of the world. But it's it's tough. You know, folks that are in that job are often away from their families. And, and it takes some really understanding and loving family members to uh, make that work. So, and I, and I happen to have that. So, that's great. Hey, there you go. Someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today? Ooh, man, so many people. So, so, so many people. Uh, I'll call out uh, Andrew Fink. Andrew Fink was a, a mentor and a boss and a friend and has shown me many times like how to build a team that is high performing and cares about each other and that it's more than just doing a job. It's a bit like family and work. So he's great. Last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. I would say don't neglect the generalist skills. I think that it's really important to be able to go broad and not just deep. And so understand finance, understand uh, legal issues like how to write contracts and the importance of the contracts, understand sales process, get a bit of breadth and partner with people in your organization, at least like shadow them and, and get to know those functions because the company within a company thing is, is it's kind of real. Like, like you got to, you got to manage the full business. I love that. I'm reading, um, 
Range right now by David Epstein. It's yes. all about generalists. Have you read yes, that? Yes, that's a great book. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's like literally what you just said. So I'm, I'm only probably about 100 pages in, but it's it's great. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Thanks so much to Mickey Hainan for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you liked what you heard, make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode comes out every other Friday. Also, if you took something away from this episode, please leave us a review. We're looking for six-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. Thanks so much for listening. That's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time.